So saying, uh, I want to talk tonight about some of the continuums of practice that we can uh, frame our practice within. There are a number of them, and I will just give you a few. Uh, and that each one needs to have a particular context uh, and be uh, supported by a view and an intention and an effort that's uh, very often exclusive to the way we frame our particular practice. But in so doing, I want to also say that every one of you, however you're working, is just fine. I'm not trying to throw you off your particular trajectory or whatever it is that you're finding that you're working with at the moment. <clears throat> As I mentioned last night, I'm really trying to cast whatever and however you're working within a frame of reference. It is possible, and most people get caught within their own frame of reference in the way they work. And there isn't an end to the way that we might be working on a problem because we keep instilling the very incentives that drove the problem in the beginning in the way we're working on the problem. So we have to be very careful uh, in each of these continuums of practice that uh, we are open to something more expansive, that we are listening beyond our own uh, immediate understanding so that there could be a, a wider context and an opening and a realization as, oh, I'm doing this thing wrong. I'm working this thing backward. So that's the point, not to throw you off of your practice or to say you're doing anything wrong. Please don't think that. Um, often when I give talks that are uh, far-reaching, people can feel very discouraged about what I'm saying because that's not where they're working. But wherever you're working is part of the continuum of a strategy that is far-reaching. And that's what I hope to show you tonight, is that you're not working wrong when you're working at some emotional issue or some relationship thing or something, some historical context but we just have to open it up to a broader context of a continuum. So let me just uh, introduce the subject by looking at some of the continuums that are most obvious. And, uh, you know, I always uh, worked on a continuum of uh, being unenlightened and wanting to be enlightened. That was the way I was working. I had no idea what it meant to be enlightened, but I certainly thought I wasn't. And so I was kind of, you know, pushing it wherever I could. And whatever anyone would say that had something to do with that word, I would try to work it in that direction. But uh, I ended up mostly going in circles. But the um, more common forms of the continuum, uh, if we think about it, is uh, one that the book I just wrote, uh, deals with from self to selflessness. We start out with a very defined and purposeful self and the practice begins to shave the rough corners of that, smooth it out a little bit so that at times we find ourselves much more spacious, much more open, much more allowing, much more vacuous, much less self-determined de or defined. And uh, we may not realize what is occurring, but we're moving along the continuum as long as we're moving in relationship to uh, a wise view, intention, and effort. 
we can move very in a definite way towards that continuum of self to selflessness. And so uh, I'll spend a little more time on that a little later in the talk, but I just want to cover some other continuums as well. Another continuum, the one the Buddha often talks about and is most represented in the Buddhist text is from suffering to non-suffering, from suffering to not suffering. And so we start out, the context of how we define ourselves is being kind of despairing or and somewhat caught in some misery of our own existence. We have no idea how or what we're doing to ourselves to create that difficulty, but as the continuum begins to um, expand, we begin to understand how we're creating our own suffering, and we come to the resolution of that, hopefully. Now, I also want to show that that's no different than from self to selflessness. I want to keep tying these continuums in, so into one another, so that you don't feel like you're off on one far away from all the others. All of them are really the same continuum, just looked from a different perspective. So the continuum of self to selflessness, when we are very contracted within our pain, we are very defined within our pain as me and my pain. And uh, there's no more insulated and isolated sense of ourselves than when we're in pain. In fact, we have very little uh, need or desire to connect with anyone because we're only connecting with our own difficulties. It's very difficult to listen to anyone when we have that kind of self-disturbance. Uh, no sense of connectedness. Uh, it's all kind of mirrored back into our own image. And so you can see that when there's a lot of pain, there's a very strong and defined sense of self. And that's not necessarily, uh, that is, is not necessarily negative in terms of the ego. The ego likes itself defined. If it has to be in pain to do that, it will find a way to remain in pain in order to be defined. So you will find that uh, if you have a strong need for a self-image, if you have a strong need to be self-determined, uh, you'll find that one of the easiest strategies to do that is to be dramatic and to keep things going and keep keep the world very dramatic and full of, of uh, contentiousness and argument and opinionation and all of the different ways that we self-form. So you begin again to see that the, sense, the continuum from self to selflessness, the continuum from uh, suffering to not suffering, are really the same continuum. Just look at that from a different point of view. And both have to be understood. In fact, if you're going to work from self to selflessness, you have to understand how and to work with pain to undo the knot of self. So those are really one in the same continuums. Now, as I explain these continuums very briefly, I want you to get a sense that the first, that there are a continuum. The first half of the continuum is a certain paradigm that most of us are very familiar with. We're familiar with um, ourselves. We're familiar with the strategies of our life, the point and purposes, the values of our life, what we employ to get over a problem, all of our definitions, all of the laws that are created uh, by our self-determination, our sense of isolation and separateness. All of that is in the first half of the continuum. Each continuum has a moment in the middle somewhere where things get a little fuzzy a little um, 
awkward, a little bit confusing because suddenly the assurance and the certainty of the laws and the definition of life and the purpose and point and value of life and the meaning of life and everything that we know about life, with as this thing begins to move to the farther reaches of the continuum, it gets fuzzy in there. It gets, things aren't, things start becoming uh, confusing to our initial orientation to the way we have known the world to be. And unless we're willing to go through that sometimes prolonged confusion and have our world sort of tip on upside down, uh, most of us will scurry back to the far end of the continuum from where we came and continue to work in that direction because at least the world is safe and properly oriented, even though it may be very limited and painful within that. Uh, expanse within that particular length of the continuum, but I much prefer the things to be defined and working strategically towards my own demise than to go up here where suddenly I'm I'm in a a very confusing component. So every continuum has a paradigm shift within it. Has to. Has to has to. And if we're just, we can work for a long period of time, and most of us do, laboriously, on one end of the continuum, and never allow that paradigm to shift. This is a paradigm shift. This spirituality, in its hearts of hearts, is a complete change of paradigms. It's not tampering. It's not a smoothing of one. It's not, as I was mentioning this afternoon, I didn't really have time to fully explain. You can't talk yourself out of your pain. You can't negotiate yourself out of your pain. You can't use the strategies that we've employed that got us into pain to get out of pain. What is required at some point is that this is not a negotiable organ. This is not something that I can uh, tamper with so that it gets onto my side, so that it becomes a supportive issue in this thing. This thing works in a way that is completely disorienting to freedom. And it is not until the moment of freedom that the mind lines itself up in a workable way. So if you're expecting it before that happens, all you'll be doing is kind of refining your character within it. At some point, it does line up. It gets quiet in there. But it gets quiet in there because the strategies that we've employed earlier on are no longer used. As long as we're using those strategies early on, it does not get quieter. It gets noisier. In fact, another continuum that I want to speak about is from noise to stillness. Now, how does that fit with suffering and non-suffering? How does that fit from self to selflessness? Very simply, that the more we chatter our story and our commentary, the more defined we are as a person and the more we suffer in contention to what that story says and what reality is, is actually, what reality is actually occurring, what reality is actually presenting. 
you see. So the noisier our minds are and the more we are invested in the story of our life, the more opinions and judgments we'll have from that story. Because a story is a point of view. And when you have a point of view, then you have contentious points of views that are not in alignment with the narrative that we're saying. And so as long as we're invested in that as the representation of our life, as the way we are oriented to our life, then you can be assured that it will just get noisier in there, not quieter. And the paradigm begins to shift when we realize at a crucial point, wow, this is not going to cure itself. I can sit from now until I'm 180. And it doesn't get quieter except moments of quiet. Moments of quiet. See, the paradigm, each of the faults, the first half of the paradigm, the, the, the paradigm, the old paradigm, the paradigm that we're familiar with, the first half of it has a pseudo-nirvana. Okay? It's the false nirvana. Okay? And the false nirvana from uh, noise to stillness is that you have a quiet, quieter. It's quieter in there. This is much speaking. Right? But quiet is conditional. As soon as things start becoming a little more turbulent, then we start getting noisy again. It's conditional. The actual end of the continuum is very different than a quiet mind. It's a still mind. A still mind is a very different dimension than a quiet mind. Quiet is the opposite of noise. Stillness holds both quiet and noise. It's the middle way. The middle way is not halfway between the two extremes. The middle way is what holds both extremes. Do you see? So it's very important to understand that the false nirvana that most of us would will concede to because it's better than where we started. But it's false. And if we're not clued in to a wider frame of reference as to where this thing is going and ultimately taking us and pointing, we'll sit, sit there and kind of milk that false nirvana. And we'll be very um, we'll be very content there and we can be very arrogant there as well. In fact, uh, I have met teachers who have dwelled within their false nirvanas and you can feel this arrogance. To me, arrogance would be a sign that I'm somewhere in between. Right? That I'm, I'm in no per- I should be moving this thing somewhere if I'm feeling arrogant. It's a symptom. But when you're not completely aware of the symptoms of false nirvana, you can stay for a long time within those, that falseness. Right? The false nirvana in the from self, from suffering to non-suffering is that you cleaned up your mind, you beautified it. It's full of calm and quietude. It sounds quite nice, doesn't it? <laughs> it's full of very a lot of serenity, but there's still separation. And so you can have a lovely mind, believe it or not, 
but it's still jabbering yourself in isolation to everything else that's going on and you don't recognize that because you're so indulgent in the luxuries of the qualities of mind that you have spent so long nourishing. Now, listen, people, you know, some of you are, I know well enough, and I'm trying to point something out here. So as we are moving this continuum from left to right, the only thing that we have to be able to keep us going is our own sincerity. And I'm going to do a lot of talking. I'm going to do two talks on sincerity because it is a subject that to me is at the heart of of this whole spiritual orientation. All right, so we have from self to selflessness. We have from uh, noise to stillness. Suffering to not suffering. What's the what's the false nirvana from self to selflessness? It's the image of humility. It's the person who is self-deprecating and self, you know, just and feels very, uh, you know, just not going to make any waves and just going to be kind of in the background, quiet and reserved and yet very much still separate and isolated in him or herself. Now, I mean, again, you can, you can build your own continuum, continuums forever on this thing. There are all sorts of continuums. Maybe just one, one or two more. Um, I'll show you a false continuum. All right. So you, you, okay. So the genuine continuums are a genuine paradigm shift. But sometimes we establish a, a continuum that's within the same paradigm. Like from sorrow to happiness. I think, wow, what's wrong with happiness? Nothing's wrong with happiness, but it's a state of mind. Sorrow is a state of mind and happiness is a state of mind. And if you want to go from sorrow to happiness, you can, but you can be assured that happiness is going to be contingent upon conditions. It's going to be transient. It's going to change. And therefore, it's not a lasting happiness. It's a conditional happiness. And where these continuums are supposed to be taking us are into lasting happiness. Lasting happiness. So be careful that the continuum you choose and each of you need to be on a continuum. You need to know where you're going. I was lost. I'm doing this. I'm, I'm, I'm presenting the Dharma the way I'm presenting it because to save you the time that I was not spared. I was out in the woods and completely lost, disoriented. I didn't know how to. I didn't know how to orient myself in this kind of way. Now, some people get so, these are just sideways. Some of us get so enamored in the traditional way that we're moving along a condition that the investment in the conditions, the image, the meditator, the robes, the whatever we have, all the forms that we use, 
becomes its own continuum, becomes its own reason to march forward. We have long since lost the actual point of travel. It's now that we're working up the hierarchy of the tradition and becoming someone within it, which feels very good to the someone who's becoming. But it's not the end of the continuum. Okay, so people who are prospective teachers who are sharing the Dharma or who have some sense of responsibility on sharing, that can often happen within. And there is a tremendous reinforcement, especially in this tradition, to to, um, concede to the scriptural references of choice and to try to steer your a continuum according to the what the sutta, this sutta says or that sutta, and the refined uh, quotations and points of view. And let me just, sometimes I just like to be blunt, all right? <laughs> Hogwash. I, I just want to say that because what should steer you is your wisdom, not the words of that have been tampered with for 2,500 years, both through translation after translation after translation, but through verbal translation after translation, verbal recitation, changed, altered, you know, who knows what the Buddha said and who knows what the point of all that is. At that point, it becomes a, a, a lost issue. But one's own wisdom one's own assurance and confidence of what one has seen for oneself. Can then, you can then bring the suttas referencing up to that and it can give you encouragement and confidence from those references. So I use the sutta reference if it means nothing to me or if it says something, first of all, if it says something against what I know to be true, out it goes. I don't even, I don't even pay any attention to it. And if it says something that I don't know, I don't use it as its reference. I say, okay, well, let me see for myself. And then if it doesn't match, fine. If it does, well, that's good. It's like the Bible. There are certain quotes of the Bible that, in the New Testament that come out and meet you. And other quotes that, what in the hell is he talking about? <laughs> and you don't want any part of. Because they've been, <laughs> I'm sure when they were first said, they meant a lot. But now they mean nothing. And so why, why bring it forward and try to have them mean something? Right? So I'm just, just showing you the lay of the land here a little bit. So another continuum that I think is a very important one. All of these continuums, I think, need to have some understanding uh, on. And you'll switch continuums from time to time. But all, all these continuums head in the same direction. That's what I'm trying to show you. And they all have a particular um, orientation to the path that is based on a stability of view, intention, and effort that are perfectly aligned with that continuum. So I'll get to that in just a moment. But let me bring the last one that I'll talk about this evening. But there are many, many continuums. I just don't, I don't want in any way make this sound... Um, I mean, if you're... If you're a heart person, you could have a continuum of the sense of um, isolation to love. That's a continuum. If, if your orientation is that way. 
uh, another, this is the one I wanted to talk about from uh, uh, time to the timeless. Where time being where we're just futuring and pasting ourselves. Unless you haven't seen it today, notice how much time you spend dwelling upon the past, dwelling upon the future. The present be, holds all of life within it. But most of us don't give it a dime's worth of time. What does enlightenment have to do with now? We say to ourselves. Well, may I say it has everything to do with now. Because if it's anywhere else, it's not worth a dime. So how do we reconcile time, timeless, with enlightenment, with waking up? I prefer the, the term waking up because enlightenment has so much invested meaning in it. It's that when we abide now, the only way you, we can abide now is not to be lost in the thought of past or future. That is the only way that this organism, because at the moment that we firmly plant ourselves in now, we have no sense of self about ourselves. We're wide open. Now is unfathomably long, big, large, enormous, and mysterious. As we hover like a moth around the flame, we kind of hover around it. If we get too close, we feel our wings getting singed. So we pull back and we make a little more noise for ourselves, a little more contracted, a little more isolation, but we're safe from the flame of now. And as we get encouraged and pulled into now, we start feeling the warmth of it. We start losing our references. We have to change paradigm. To reside in now requires a completely different paradigm than the than the paradigm of, of, of past and future. Past, present, future. The present is not now. The present is what I move through as I'm looking forward or reminiscing about the way things were. So it's not the real present. It's the false. It's the pretentious present. It is a false nirvana. And most of us hover around a false nirvana called the here and now which is very narrow and limited and very uh, contracted in itself. And we lose ourselves in it all the time. I've got to come back to the now. I've got to come back to the now. Rather than making it the big now, rather than moving this thing in the continuum, pointing this thing in the truth, getting, letting the paradigm shift, where the now is totally inclusive, could not possibly, nothing could possibly not... Everything is included in now. Nothing could possibly be anywhere else. Do you know now that in that way? Where all thoughts are held now. What do you think thoughts are occurring? Where all isolation meets. Because all isolation was simply a thought about something. And when the thought and the thing that's about meet in the same context, in the same moment. There is no isolation between the two. But we make it into a very contracted now. 
Let me, am I present? Yeah, I'm present now. I can feel my body on the floor. Okay, great. This is here and now. You know, that's the false nirvana. And we try to stay there instead of expanding this thing so that it explodes outward. See, it's a paradigm shift. And we work it because there are so many tactics, so many Burmese theories and Thai theories and Sri Lankan theories and Buddha's thises and Ajahn that's and Sayadaw this. And we're all kind of, we're just kind of steering our way, and, you know, because we'll give our authority away so quickly. That we don't, don't make, this, this thing doesn't make any sense to us anymore. We just do false turns. We turn to the left. If somebody says turn to the right, turn to the right. Utejaniya. Oh my God, Utejaniya. You know, all this excitement and like what? Where have you been? Where have you been? Where have each of us been? From one moment Upandita, the next moment Utejaniya. There is this difference as night and day and yet somehow you can just like that, take a right turn and be completely okay with it. Where have you been? Where are you? Where are you in that right turn? Not just some teacher who says this, now that. Come on. This is each of us finding our own wisdom in this thing. This is absolutely critical that we find our own way. That we have that confidence base in ourselves. What continuum are we on? And how easy could I, easily can I talk you out of it? Sometime you can come in there and I'm going to try. Just to p- poke you a little bit. See if I can talk you out of your confidence. I won't do it if I think that you're too shaky to do that. But I might if I thought you were strong enough to fight back. You see, this, we're alone in this thing. Yes, it's wonderful to hear this and know that teacher, but we're alone in this thing. This is really an alone, alone, not a lonely trip, but a very alone one. Because the re- we only have one resource available to us, and that's our own. So, let us line up here. The time is slipping away, and I don't want to have me spend the whole time and not get to the point. (laughs) So as we're moving this continuum from one side to the other, we have to have this thing aligned. We have to have it make sense to us. And I mean logical sense, spiritual logical sense. And most of us frivol ourselves away. It's too, we just, we don't concern ourselves with that. We just kind of get down. We're, I'm becoming selfless. Okay, well, that's fine. You're becoming selfless. How do you intend to do that? Well, I haven't figured that out yet, but leave me alone. I'm going I'm to do it. So we bear down in our efforts and we send this thing as skewed as it could possibly be. It's tangential. It's not even referencing selflessness. So what does it look like? And so... I, I wrote a book about one of these continuums called Stepping Out of Self-Deception. And it's basically taking one continuum from self to selflessness 
and looking at an absolutely straight and narrow and direct path from one side of it to the other. And that was my intention, to clarify it, to get it clear. All the places that you slip in walking that continuum, all the mistakes we make, all of the seemingly obvious choices which are really being driven by the sense of self, all of the uh, subtlety within that, it all has to be uh, uh, flushed out. So, I, I don't have time to go into all the detail, but first of all, we need a view. Okay, from self to selflessness, what happens within a selfless world? It's not, I don't like the word emptiness as well as I like the word interconnectedness because emptiness doesn't excite a lot of people. It feels desolate and we project a lot of horror on the word emptiness and then even though we like to claim reference to it, we stay far away from it because it feels like it scares us to death. But interconnectedness is a welcoming, is a welcoming uh, view. And so let's just call it interconnectedness. And when you become fully interconnected, you will also be fully empty. All right. So what, what does it feel like to be interconnected? It feels like being connected. And if I, you know whether you're connected or not, you know whether you're connected with what your internal life is doing in this moment or whether you're thinking disconnectedly away. And so the intentionality, once the view is established, that I'm going to move this thing towards interconnectedness, then the intentionality has to be on top of that view. Moment after moment, is this being connected or disconnected? Is this following my anger and turning away a disconnection from reality? Or connecting with my anger and not turning away a connected reality? And if I follow connection, I can be assured that I will come to the end of the connect of the continuum. If I follow disconnection, pretending that it's connected, you'll never get it. We're just going to go around like a leaf caught in a whirl, or an eddy. And so we have to be completely honest with yourself. You know, you're, these little subtle ways that we keep ourselves so isolated, so distant, so insulated, uh, so contemptuous of things, just so um, cut off. Those, all that has to be flushed out. All that has to be, if we're going to be connected, there's no area of ourselves that ha- can remain disconnected. And so every sense of pain, and this is where pain see, comes into it, pain is a disconnection from reality. And if I look at what I'm doing in that moment of contraction from pain, I'm pulling back from reality. I'm claiming a defense. I'm sheltering myself from, which is not connection. To be connected, I have to open this thing up. I have to move beyond the knee-jerk response to turn away. And I have to flush out This is from noise to stillness. See, I'm bringing all these things in here. I hope you're following me. Are you following me? Okay. Stick with me here because it gets interesting. (laughs) It's the first night. I got to keep you awake. (laughs) What was I talking about? (laughs) Connectedness and pain? 
Okay, so, okay, as the, as the sense of pain arises and that sense of disconnection occurs, you also know, notice that you're getting very noisy in that inner disconnection. You're telling yourself a lot. See, the reason it seems as if you're backing away from reality is that you're infusing this side of the script with a lot of commentary about that side of the script. And so this side of the script has a lot of opinion, judgment, attitude about this side. And so those two aren't going to come together as long as this side is being validated from my internal response and the external response is never really being met and allowed to show us what it really is. So I get noisier, more painful, more disconnected, greater sense of self. I'm lost in time because all my past and memories and presentations come up in relationship to this present moment. So I'm pulled back, covering around a past memory associated with this present moment. All of that, and you can see that you're what you're up against here. Embedded within pain, I finally got around to the point I wanted to, so I better get to it before I lose again. There are self-inscriptions uh, within the pain. Uh, 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 self-assumptions. Within every pain, every time we pull back, there's a self-assumption that's occurring on a psychological issue. Some sense of ourselves, whether we're up to handling this or some some opinion about ourselves in relationship to the circumstances of our life that have us draw back in defense. And until and unless those assumptions become become obvious to us, become aware, we become aware of those, they will stay calcified within our belief system. They do not... They do not... Uh, open themselves up just over time. In fact, we are very clever in how we contrive to keep our practice from seeing the painful issue. Meditation will not help you here. It will not help you. In fact, meditation is often driven by the patterns of resistance more than they are by the patterns of sincerity. I'm just laying it out here. Okay, so something else has to rise in us that says, okay. And I I was teaching uh, here in June and I had this uh, communication with someone and it brought up something in me and I knew that I had to see it because if I let it die without being seen, I knew that it would come pull me down into the other paradigm, that it had the power to freeze me in isolation and in pain. And I will not allow my mind to do that. So I said, okay, that's it, I'm going in there. Yes, and I had to teach the next day, and it took all night for me to flush it out. I I got two hours sleep, but I was not going to go to bed and just pretend like it never happened. And so if anyone had seen me that was been on retreat, in my cootie, I was up there going, and you would say, I'm leaving here. That guy's a kook. <laughs> and sometimes it takes that kind of, that kind of uh, 
resolve, really. I'm not going to die with this thing. So, the continuums. Wise view leading to wise intention. Intention, again, the view can be a false view or it can be a wise view. It can be an unwise view from the first half of the continuum or it can be a wise view from the second paradigm shift. It can be an unwise intention or it can be a, a wise intention. It can be unwise effort or it can be wise effort. When the sense of self, which is the first half of the continuum that we're, most of us are on, we start with the sense of self and much of the practice, most views, intentions, and efforts are unwise. Just a state of affairs. We get lost in our intentions are usually desire-driven or fear-based, and we just set their intention from a sense of desire for ourselves, and that takes us a little bit, and then we find that that doesn't move us very far, so we set another. So we kind of hop along at that very paced rate. So our views can be very um, circumscribed and around the sense of self and self-definition and self-enhancement. Even though we're supposedly going towards selflessness, really we're not interested so much in that as getting sheltering and shoring up this sense of self. So that's the first, you know. Or it, uh, energetically, our efforts can be very uh, ambitious and very goal-oriented, very expectation, driven by expectation and wanting and a lot of desire. And those efforts, unless seen through at some point, will continue to circle us back around into that first half of the continuum. Given a paradigm shift, Given a paradigm shift, I say that there's, there's a way that we can orient ourselves, even in the first half, which welcomes the paradigm in much quicker. And that way is to begin to look at the very strategies of the sense of self from the, from the up close and from the first half of the continuum. So that we're aware that ambition is really self-driven. Self-driven will not end self. And therefore, any effort that feels like it's under my control, under my ambition, under my guidance system, will ultimately lead into a circuitous route back to the other end of the continuum. So what does effort look like? Well, that's what people have been trying to teach you, all teachers, when they offer the practice, give you wise Instruction, allow, relax, observe, and allow. Where is their ambition in relaxation? Where is their false view in just observing without distorting what you see? Where is their unwise intention in allowing whatever it is to show itself? Relax, observe, and just allow. And so uh, steering ourselves according to words, which are skillful means, just keeping us on track so that we know that we're still heading in a wise direction so that the sense of self isn't catching us uh, as, or stumbling. We're not stumbling from our own ignorance along the way. We just have a few guiding words, very simple words, very simple words. Don't make this uh, dramatic and don't make it complicated. 
Because those, if you do, you can be assured that you are being noisier, more contracted, far uh, full of yourself, and all the philosophical and sophisticated resources you have, more intellectually knowledgeable but not wiser. These should be cues. This is not the way the Dharma goes. Okay, I'm getting more philosophical, wordier. I'm getting more annoyed at things. I have little time to spend with you (laughs) because you don't have it. You're too ignorant. Those are cues. Let, him, let, us, let those things cue us in a proper direction. I call them reverse cues. So when you see those things occurring, you go, oh, I'm ahead in the opposite direction. And all of this is based, of course, on sincerity of heart. Sincerity of heart. So see, we use each other, but mostly we have our own inward guidance system. We listen to the talks, we pull out what is relevant to ourselves. We don't feel discouraged because, oh, I'm not. That's just the, you, when you start feeling the implosion of self around doubt and, and despair and all of that, you can be certain that you're heading in the wrong direction. Let's explore this thing. Let's explore this. Let's, let's throw this thing open. Let's look at this. Instead of hardening and certifying the fact of it. Let's look at it. That's the spirit. That's the spirit of wakefulness. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.